Baseball season's almost here, and there's never been a better time to check out DraftKings.com, America's favorite daily fantasy baseball site, where you could win huge cash prizes every day. Daily fantasy means no season-long commitment. Every time you play, it's like a new season. Head to DraftKings.com now and use code ATHLETE to play for free in the opening day $100,000 fantasy baseball contest. First place takes home ten grand. Enter ATHLETE for free entry now at DraftKings.com. That's DraftKings.com. Look, just like you, sometimes I don't listen to the end of a podcast. Maybe something happened in my day. I have to keep going. I got off the train. I forget. I don't uh, announce this during the thing, so I just want to point you to the fact that at the end of this really uh, entertaining conversation with Lydia Loveless, she plays a song on acoustic guitar and sings uh, a song she's never played on acoustic before. There's no other version of it, and it's stunning. Um, Everybody in the studio kind of freaked out and talked about it for a couple of days afterwards, so... Be sure to hang in till the very end of this so you can hear uh, Lydia sing this song or, you know, skip the talking and get right to the song. Thanks for listening. Uh, hope you enjoy it. And now, The Moment with Brian Koppelman. Hey, this is The Moment. I'm Brian Koppelman. Thanks for listening. My guest today is here. Usually I do this introduction. They're not here. But the great <laughs> Lydia Loveless is sitting with me. Um, thanks for being here. Thank you. You just drove in to New York from Columbus today or last night. Last night, we got like three hours, and <laughs> so we got really far. <laughs> for, 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 the, for those of you uh, who don't know, Lydia is a songwriter and a singer, and um, is on the country charts and is considered a, a country artist. Though I, I wonder if that's how you think of yourself. Not really. <laughs> that's kind of I mean I when I started doing this I was like 15 and I thought like maybe that was what I wanted to do but those were like the first songs that I ever wrote and it's just kind of stuck with me the whole way you mean like once you get in a lane it, yeah in, in, in a certain lane mm-hmm. in the music thing you think it's hard to even no matter what you do it's mm-hmm. hard to kind of like well I think with country music especially because it's so um and I hate to call it limited because I love country music, but you really do have to stick to it. You can't really shift out of that very easily. And uh, that's why, I mean, people get so mad when they hear stuff like Taylor Swift. Like, it's pop music with a banjo or whatever, so. Oh, my God. I can't believe you brought up the T word. I know. I you just brought up the T word. In, sorry. And we haven't Forget been going it. 35 seconds. But, I mean, it's just an example of how hard it is to, like, um Really experiment out of that vein. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I will say I'd actually written a note to myself. I wasn't going to bring Taylor Swift up, but you brought her up. Sorry. Now it's now. <laughs> I always do it when uh, when it's not supposed to be, and then people will ask me about it, and I'm like, why do people ask? Me yeah, why do you insist on asking <laughs> me about like, Taylor Swift? Damn it, I did it. So wait, I just want to give a little context for people because um, you know you've you've released with th- three albums and an EP, and yeah. then a new and then a single with a couple single, extra songs yeah. on it, um, and you started very young. Uh, and um, have almost from the beginning, I think, been somebody that that critics and like sort of music experts have really um, have embraced. I think. Do, do yeah. you feel that way to you? Yeah, I, I think so. And uh, and is that the, okay to say? No, I mean that's just a <laughs> yeah, that's just a fact, right? It's not you're not doing it for them. Yeah. You're making the music that you want. You certainly in these last couple records that you want to make, right? Yeah. Um, but I do think that uh, you haven't 
had you've had you know this past year your profile's grown a tremendous mm-hmm. amount but still i think there are are folks who may not know your music and i would say that you know you could stop the podcast right now if you want open up spotify or beats cuz you know they're not going to buy it so i can't no. tell to open itunes <laughs> who does they're, that they're never going to buy the record <laughs> they don't even know what a record is but uh i'm sure you barely uh you're 24 mhm um records were what we all listened to music on a long time mm-hmm. ago vinyl but um <laughs> which you can't get at the itunes store anyway and um but open up your spotify or something and uh you know, listen to a track from one of the last two records. Uh, listen to Steve Earle from a couple records ago or listen to uh, Head or Chris Isaac on, on this record and then you can come back. Or or if not, um, you can hear this conversation. And, and at the end, I'd love if you'd play a song when we're, when mm-hmm. we're done. Yeah. Uh, that, that'd be great. Um, so just for context, can you say you grew up, you're a country artist, but you grew up in Columbus? I grew up outside of Columbus um, on a farm. I moved to Columbus when I was 14. That was the kind that was of, moving to the big city. Yeah, <laughs> it seemed really exciting at the time. <laughs> that sounds bad. Sorry, I like Columbus. Don't do, okay, but like that sounds. The, what's the, why do you feel the the need? Um, why are you why are you trying to protect yourself from like uh, saying whatever you you, you don't have to apologize mm-hmm. for saying what you think. Yeah, it's true. I mean, I guess I let's start over with that sentence. Yeah. That was the big city from where I was from. <laughs> right. You're saying it seemed sort of exciting. And now yeah. I know in you, to you maybe it's not such an exciting city compared to. It's a good. It's a small city. Um, it's easy to get to know everything. When you, you grew up uh, on a farm, did you go to did you go to school uh, like regular school? No, I was actually homeschooled. So why? Why did that was it because the community was too small or. Uh, no, my parents were just that way. It's hard to, I mean, I always say it wasn't like Carrie where it was like, stay away from the bad people. It was just, uh, my parents are very, um, passionate about their particular values and, um, sort of being self-motivated and I don't know, it was, it, it just seemed better for us to do that because we were such like headstrong kids and. And just kind of, uh, I mean, I always knew that I wanted to do whatever I wanted to do. I never wanted to, like, learn what people wanted me to or uh, or have a specific job. I just wanted to be a musician. And er, er, How early? Pretty much since I was, like, seven or eight. And when, when you were seven or eight, you're on this farm and mm-hmm. you're being homeschooled. And what music are you exposed to? Like, what are you listening to? Um, and I know you've probably covered some of this, but because people don't mm-hmm. know you, let's just, we can start here. We'll get back to the Taylor Swift thing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to let that dangle. But. There was a, there was a lot of stuff going on. I mean, my dad loved the Eagles, but he also liked the Talking Heads and the Cars play a lot. I, as a kid, really liked Billy Idol. So that was my first, like, thing that I heard. And I thought, this is really cool. And it really it probably wasn't cool necessarily at that point in time, but it seemed really, like empowering to me to listen to Billy Idol when I was a little kid. Well, it's funny. I mean, you're a musician and, you know, uh, I mean, Steve Stevens was a great guitar player. And that music was really, weirdly, it was Mm -hmm. really powerful. powerful. Like those beats were, uh, it was like, you know, incredibly hypnotic and compelling. And then that, you know, when you think about it, then he was kind of a, even when he was big, it was kind of a joke. But Mm -hmm. because I was a kid when he was 
a big star, but like that guy could really play guitar and they yeah. created a sound that interestingly, I understand it. I totally get it because they were not actually easy to put in a box mm -hmm. musically. Yeah. They, they didn't fit in a, in a specific place. Mm -hmm. But then when did you start, did you start coming up with melodies when you were a little kid? I tried. I mean, I, I've always been a big pop music fan, so I would write little ditties, like especially when you're a kid in the bathtub. I don't know if you had that fixation, but of making up songs in the bathtub, I wasn't like, I didn't really know what I was doing until I was, you know, like a teenager, but I always knew I wanted to be a songwriter. I was just trying to find when I was going to like write an actual song. Were you writing like stories or poems for yourself then? Or? Yeah, I did that a lot. And I had a song that I wrote about Don Henley called The Ugliest Man of All, about Don Henley waking up in the morning and looking in the mirror and asking who's the ugliest man of all, and it was Don Henley. Like sort of a Snow White Don Henley medley. Uh, have you ever played it out? <laughs> no, I haven't. I have this whole uh, vision of it in my head, like a Don, sort of Don Henley-style production. So Yo, you know how I've you'd record it. it. Oh, yeah. Have you guys considered putting it down just to have as a B-side? I about it. Just, I mean, if you're doing, if you're doing Elvis Costello B-side and Akesha yeah. B-side, why mm -hmm. not your why own? Not my fake Don Henley Snow White song, yeah. Yeah, you could, you know. <laughs> you could that do that. That's like, uh, <laughs> that's like, uh, oh, who's that country guy? He's really funny. He did that song, The Fountains of Wayne Hotline. Oh, yeah, Robbie Folks. Yeah, like Robbie Folks. That's that, a genius, yeah, Oh, it's song. the greatest. Oh, yeah, if people... People always say that I reference these books on the thing, mm -hmm. but I'm gonna. This will be like heavy on music. Yeah. Go if you know Fountains of Wayne's music. Go find Robbie Falk's Fountains of Wayne Hotline <laughs> and listen really to brilliant. it because it's amazing. Yeah. Uh, so I think you should definitely do the Don Henley thing. Yeah. So you wrote that was one of the was that one of the first <laughs> things that you wrote? Yeah, it was. And did you play it for people? No, I would just sing it around the house, subject my family to it. But because I get well, I guess what I'm interesting interested in about this is when you were young. Were you around other kids? Were you socialized with other kids at any I was. point? I mean, I did stuff. I, uh, like, obviously, church was a big thing, but I also did dance class. Um, I also had a little brother who had a lot of, like, just baseball friends, so I, I spent a lot of time with those kids. When you were around those people, though, a lot of the time really smart, creative people <laughs> end up being sort of at, um, feel like outsiders mm -hmm. because they see and process things just at a different at a different speed or from like a different cant than yeah. the other people. Did you did you feel that or were you able to just like cast aside what you were feeling and join in like what? I was kind of like the my friend's pet monkey. Is how I would describe it. Like I was never really like they were kind of like look at this weird person that we know. That was that was kind of my childhood. But I don't think that was even necessarily from like being the homeschooled kid or anything. it was just I was just weird. Well, yeah, that did you realize that you saw things I might say correct, rightly or wrongly, but mm -hmm. did you did you realize that you had some sort of even if as a kid you wouldn't articulate it as a worldview, but did yeah. you realize like, hey, I see things differently than these people do? Yeah, definitely. Did it make did you feel did you feel alienated or were you comfortable from that perch? I kinda liked it. Um I mean I was kind of the kid that like if I wanted to go do something with my friends. Half of me didn't want to because I knew I wasn't going to have a great time because they were so, I don't know, it sounds really arrogant, but they were just, 
they had an easier time with everything. <laughs> I don't know. I've always been like this dark person. But it's not just that. Yeah. Is it just the dark thing or is it that uh, the things that uh, easily amused certain people, mm-hmm. they were boring to you? Well, they didn't like to do the stuff that I like to do. And I'm also very close with all my siblings. I have three siblings. And the kind of stuff that we would do is, like, dress up and do interpretive dance and laugh and do monologues and, like, make up songs. And then I'd go to my friend's house and it was like, let's call Billy Bob and see if he likes us. Like, well, he probably doesn't because I'm weird. You're weird. But you're still, like, not as weird as I am. Like, I don't know. It was, I don't know. I just didn't really like doing the things that, that other kids generally like to do. It was a lot of socializing and just sort of empty socializing, I guess I should say. But yeah, see, I think a lot of this stuff shows up in your music. I mean, why this is interesting is, like, it shows mm-hmm. up, I think, in the in the way that you've been carving your own path. Because a lot of people in that spot sort of just compromise themselves and just go, mm-hmm. well, I'll go along or I'll do it. I mean, did you learn at a certain point, like, oh, if I go, it'll just be worse, so I won't? Yeah. I mean, there, yeah, there were just times that I would just slumber parties. I was always just miserable at them. Like they get still give me hives to think about them. Like it's just just so many kids that just thought I was weird, I guess. I don't know. Did that judgment bother you? Not necessarily. I kind of fed off of it probably. Yeah. Cuz I was really obnoxious as a kid. Um maybe even more so than I am now. Well, yeah, cuz I want cuz like uh there's this duality of the fact, I mean, you're a polite person and you, uh, it, it seems like, um, you don't, you don't want to be, uh, arrogant. You said earlier, yeah. you know, but then, you know, someone will tweet at you like I favorited this tweet of yours today and I don't want to misquote it. I want to get it exactly right. But I did wake up this morning. Oh, God. No, to this tweet where, where <laughs> you said, right. Um, you said, um, someone said, why I really like, first of all, they started by saying, I really like you, right? That <laughs> yeah, was the first thing that she said starts. is, I really like you. Dun, dun, dun. And then she said, but why do you have to curse so much? And because you <laughs> said, and this was your whole tweet, I do what the f*** I want. <laughs> yeah. And um, first of all, I, like, are you thinking about it when you say that? Or is that just your initial reaction? Like, stop telling me. I've been. It is. You know, <laughs> I is mean. It? And part of it is not meant to, it's not like I'm, you know, being an asshole, like I do what the f***, but part of it is that, but part of it is also like, you just said you like my music and you like it for what it is, so just accept it. And there's edited versions of my songs, or maybe you should be more upset about the fact that it's worse to like say the F word on the radio than it is to like see people get blown up and beheaded and... Well, yeah, I mean, that's... <laughs> You're no. used to that. That's okay. <laughs> well, no, that's what I thats what I wonder about, about when you're, you know, you grow up homeschooled, going to church, mm-hmm. and your family was really serious about religion. Did you grow up very religious, personally? I mean, off and on. My dad was, I was very, um, I went through the, the teen Catholic craze. I think a lot of teenagers have that. Maybe that's just my perception, but... uh yeah, my dad was a pastor for uh, a lot of my <clears throat> early childhood. And then we kind of stopped going to church for a while, and then we became Catholic. So that was a big part of growing up. Yeah, that's up. a huge thing. <laughs> my dad was raised Catholic, so he kind of like— And then back came back to church. it. Yeah. 
Uh, and did you stay religious? I am going through a bit of a crisis right now. So <laughs> I went from Catholic to I, I was very drawn to Buddhism yeah. right after that as a teenager. And I'm kind of getting back into that. But right, I'm kind of floating religiously. And are you comfortable with that? No, I mean, I I don't really believe in God anymore. So I'm kind of getting used to that. But um, but I don't want to not think about things as right. much as I used to. Did you did did that feel like a loss to you? It did. It did feel like a big loss. So how do you how do you how do you grapple with it? I don't know. It's it just. Uh, I mean, I think the weirdest thing is just like, just all the guilt as a kid when you wake up and you're like sweating and you're like, I'm going to hell, and it's like, I why why should kids feel like that? And as an adult, I'm like. I don't feel like that anymore, and I don't know if that's – if there's any particular reason for it. I just don't feel that way anymore. I don't really feel like I should pray when I'm upset or – I don't know. Maybe I'm getting too dark here. It's just – it's a weird transition no, you're not getting to go too from dark being so all. intensely into, like, if I just pray, things will be okay and I'll – and now sort of things just happen. No, because because <laughs> because there's a the piece of of religion that it, 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 look, I mean I'm I'm an atheist yeah. and I'm I've I got very comfortable in that place, mm-hmm. but I it's a, it, it it is um it's, it's an in, internally dramatic thing mm-hmm. and traumatic thing to go through when you sort of uh you know on any any side of that, but taking the directly spiritual part of it out you know the the question of conforming to any kind of expectation yeah. that you should be a certain way seems like something you really wrestle against mm-hmm. as an artist yeah and and you know because someone with your voice and your melodic sensibility you could have made many choices that were kind of an easier path to yeah probably <laughs> than alt country with tons of swearing yeah well, yeah, yeah, that, that there was, you know, um, it's funny, you, know, you brought up Taylor and I'll say, I have a 14-year-old daughter and mm-hmm. Taylor is her hero. Yeah. And I understand why. She's yeah. an incredibly talented. I get it. She's a, um, a songwriter who's able to take her, her gifts, whatever they are, and like um, uh, present that to the, you know, present that in a way that uh, that's very empowering to I, I, a, you know, certain, a subset of people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't know her. I've never met her. I think she means it and that's fine, but I don't even understand when people try to draw like the comparison in an article or set yeah. you against her. We both have boobs. Right. That's it. <laughs> but you guys are doing something entirely different. You know, yeah. I listen to your record, the new record, and, um, I hear Liz Fair mm-hmm. and I, you know, uh, and I'm wondering, I'm wondering if like, did you listen to her ever? I didn't really grow up with Liz Fair. Do you do you know her? Do you know Exile? She's great, yeah. And did you? When did you get exposed to that? It was probably, I mean, for via dance class when she had that big hit when everyone was like, she sold out. Oh no way! And then did you go back to Exile and Mm -hmm. listen to it? Yeah, which was much later, I would say. Because it seems like the. You know, in country music, when women, because something that people write about you is they, they always want to write about the fact that you, you write in a very frank way about mm-hmm. sexuality, about yeah. sex, right? Yeah. And <laughs> no, I mean, they, they, it seems like people, uh, especially, you know, 
uh, old male writers yeah. <laughs> are very into the fact, oh, there's this younger. But, but then in a weird way, I think they ignore, to me, it ignores some of what you're really doing. Uh, and uh, it seems like you have, when I listen to something like um, supposedly rebellious country music like Pistol Annie's, mm-hmm. I wonder, what do you think when you hear that record? Like their uh, first album. Yeah. It's, See, no one asks you, know, you about I mean, Pistol Annie's some good, There's some good stuff. I mean, they're, they're good songwriters. It's just not very exciting. But when people talk about that being empowering for women, mm-hmm. that the way that they express themselves, I hear something different. I'm a huge Miranda Lambert fan. Yeah. I think she's an incredible I singer. I think she's a great songwriter. Yeah. Me too. Um, but I, I still hear what you're doing and the way you're writing about what you want feels like it's not in reaction, whereas their record still feels like it's in reaction to like how they've been treated. I think it was more something like they, this needs to exist. Wouldn't it be cool if a bunch of women got together and wrote like the kindergarten textbook of being a feisty woman, I guess? That sounds really unnecessarily bitchy, I guess. But I don't know. It's It's not exciting to me. I think... My favorite Miranda Lambert song is uh, Me and Your Cigarettes. Do you know that one? Which album is that one on? It's on, damn, the one with Dead Flowers and oh, that's, yeah. White Liar. I, I mean, I know that album. I don't know that song right now. But I love that song, and it's because it actually sounds like it comes from a place of pain and frustration with somebody, and it's genuine. It's not like... I think it was Miranda Lambert on the radio last night talking about, like, I cut my bangs and screamed his name. And I was just like, this just sounds like I'm going to write a song about an angry woman, you know. So you hear the you hear the calculation sometimes yeah. in in dealing across all music or is it that there is a certain kind of I mean, I've I've read where you've talked about, you know, the way, you know, going to the office and writing songs. Uh-huh. And do you think you can't that if you're. You think if you approach it that way, you can't do work that's, like, real? Yeah, and part of me is really envious of people who are like, I wrote five songs today. This one's about this, this one's about that. It's all different. And I'm like, well, I squinted really hard and wrote a song this month, you know, but it really means something to me. And it doesn't. it's not always about me. I know my songs sound very, like, I guess, internal, but... But part of me never wants to be the kind of person that's just like, I wrote a song that's going to be a hit. I don't know. Well, you, why is that bad? It's not bad to write good songs or hits. It just, it doesn't work for me. No, but you said, I never want to be the person who would be like, I wrote a song and it sounds like a hit. Uh-huh. But why would, why would it, why would you like, judge yourself harshly if you did like, what do you, because I'm like, what is it about the, the, ambition that you mm-hmm. think is like a bad thing to have not creative think, oh, ambition. oh i don't think that's bad at all i mean i guess i should say i would have to really like the song i wouldn't i just don't want to sit down and be like people want to hear a song about a crazy woman who burns down the house because she's pissed at her husband and i wrote it and it's <laughs> going to be a hit that's does that make sense i guess and i sound like i'm criticizing people who write good songs or write hit songs but uh no that sounds like che- you're saying it sounds like cheating to you yeah I think you should write genuinely. Well, yeah, but that's, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, but that's, I think you're, I mean, I think you're, you're, you're right. Like, I think we can all appreciate when someone does something that uh, has an incredible amount of craft to it. You're like, mm-hmm. wow, that's, that's like, um, you know, uh, that's incredible woodwork or something like, wow, they really know how to yeah. do that. Sometimes I can look at a certain movie that someone writes and go, wow, I can't, you know, that, 
the way mm-hmm. that they the story beats land in a certain way. But yeah, you want to you want to feel somebody's yeah. Soul I don't in I it. don't want to be like the hotel painting of songwriting. I guess. Yeah, that makes you don't want to be Robert Kincaid. <laughs> you don't want to be the Robert Kincaid of <laughs> songwriting. I understand that. Yeah. Neither do I. Um, but when. Uh, but when I, I ask myself this question about you is, you know, I listen to that song Head and I think mm-hmm. it's like, I don't know, one of the two or three best songs of the year. May, I mean, it's, uh, I've listened to it a hundred times. And that melody, that hook, that chorus mm-hmm. is um, instantly catchy, sing along. That's a hit song. And you wrote the song about getting head. Mm-hmm. It'll never get played on country radio. Mm-hmm. Did you ever think to yourself, I'm going to take that melody and I'm going to write a song. I'm going to put a dude's name in instead of uh, head and Mm -hmm. I'll have a hit hit record. No. I mean, I I guess I would. That song was so important to me to write because it was when I first met my guitar player. Who's like kind of my songwriting partner, team sidekick. But uh. We just had this idea. We were like, let's write a really depressing song about it. Not like yeah. to be funny or or shock people, but we just wanted that to exist. And it took us like so long to get it just exactly where we wanted it. So by that time, it was like, I mean, yeah, I could possibly, you know, nip a few things here and there or make it not about getting head. But then it wouldn't be that song that it is. And then it's something different and you lose the moment, I guess. Yeah. So you had a thing you really cared about saying and the fact that you you were able to then like manifest it into this song that was incredibly powerful mm-hmm. uh, with this, you know, amazing melody and chorus. And you never you, you had to know like, oh, this is maybe the standout track on on the record. Yeah. And I'm, it just is what it is. And, I, and I'm OK if it, if that means it's not going to get on the radio. Yeah, and I remember crying when we were recording that. And uh and Todd looked at me and said, "I think we're making a record here." And I was like, "Yeah, I get what you mean." That's like, awesome. It doesn't have to be like the biggest thing ever. It's but I think it's our the best thing we've ever done. So Well, yeah, and it's an uh, a record all over it. You're doing things that are uh, unconventional and that are you know, um it feels to me even when you're writing about you know, French poets. It, mm-hmm. I hear you're saying they're not all about me, but I mean, I hear like the stuff you're wrestling with and all your stuff. Yeah, even in and the, I'm still in there for sure. <laughs> I mean, you know, the whatever the obsession is or yeah. wanting to be sane or whatever the thing is, it's, <laughs> yeah, you know, <laughs> it's why you're drawn to this stuff, I, mm-hmm. I would imagine. Um, what uh, do you think? when I've read a bunch of stuff uh, about the way people talk about you and, and I see a connection to like the outlaw country artists of, mm-hmm. you know, right now, like a lot of people have co-opted what people like Merle and Waylon did or even Rodney Crowell and to, to say like they're, you know, they've, they've taken sort of like the affectations of what those people did. Yeah. But it seems to me like you actually grabbed onto this to like the heart of what they, they did, which is like, yeah. I'm going to write about what I want to write about. Yeah. Do you relate to those people? And they were crazy. All? I mean, they weren't like, I don't know, it's, it's like when people write about me and they're like, boy, she better slow down or she'll die young. It's like, I mean, look at all the people that, songwriters are 
crazy. For one thing, there's just nothing you can do about it. Like, they're insane people. And when you look at people like Waylon and, like, George Jones, crazy, couldn't even get on crazy because people were like, we want to see crazy George Jones, damn it, you know? Like, that's the well, yeah. spirit of just people who loved writing songs about what they needed to get off their chest. Yeah, I mean, you know, Merle was, he was, in, he was crazy in jail yeah. crazy. Yeah. Fully Fully crazy, you know, fully crazy. Yeah. Johnny I mean, Paycheck, like, shot a dude or something. Yeah, I, mean, <laughs> I don't know. There's all kinds of strange, like, how did you get away with it? It's like the country hillbilly mafia, you know? Yeah, and then they were they were out, you know, they were, there was a period of time, obviously, where they were they were outside the main, but then it seemed much easier for them to gain acceptance. And I've, I've read, you know, mm-hmm. I've heard you, you know, the idea this is a rock and roll album, but I... I I mean, do you feel like this is a rock and roll album? I think it's a songwriting album. I mean, yeah. I've probably said it's a rock and roll album because when you're confronted by someone on the phone asking you why it's so different, that seems like the easiest thing to say. But I think rock and roll has a lot more meaning than just like ACDC or we're really rocking because we're loud. Like, I think... Somebody like George Jones is just as rock and roll as Angus Young. So, yeah, you're. Know. I mean, you're talking about like this, the spirit the underneath, spirit, underneath yeah. it, right? Mm-hmm. It felt like flying away, like a little butterfly. Like I'm making a record that I really want to make. There's no. I mean, there was no one in there like telling me that we need to slap a banjo on this or that. It was just literally us writing songs and layering and just really. Trying to make good songs, I guess, is what I want to do. What were you listening to while you were making the record? Um, I was listening to a lot of the Stax collection at that time. Yeah, those I don't know if that shows at all. Um, And I think I was listening to Blue Oyster (laughs) and Fleetwood Mac. Oh, yeah, right. uh Uh, And uh, just reading a lot, really. I was trying to just... Reading Step a lot back of car- from yeah. everything. Yeah, yeah. I've read. You know, it's interesting. You know, reading a lot of Rambo and mm-hmm. a lot of uh, Carver and Carver. Yeah. Though, I I hear much more hope mm-hmm. really in, in what you do than in yeah because Carver's they're, they're, it's so desolate mm-hmm. and so alone. It's almost past the desire for connection. Yeah, it's very sparse. But it seems like you still harbor, as an artist anyway, in the songs, harbor hope for connection. That's good. <laughs> Do you not think that's true? I don't know. I mean, I've I've heard people say my songs are more positive lately, and I've I've wondered about that. But, I mean, when I'm writing, it's almost like I'm not really thinking about what I'm writing. It just kind of comes out. So Sure, but then you have this collection of mm-hmm. songs. But, I mean, what is it when you, when you read... Someone like Raymond Carver, like if you read, when you read Cathedral or, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, the new Inaratu movie, that movie, um, Birdman with Michael Keaton? No. You guys, it's coming, you got to see it. It's okay. all about Carver's at the center of it. Oh, There's a, they're making um, uh, a play. Michael Keaton's character is making um, a play out of one of Carver's stories. Oh, awesome. And so, yeah, it's, uh, you'll dig it. But what is it that you mm-hmm. dig about? the way he looked at the world and what he wrote. Is it more about the way he wrote, the sparseness and the the way he gets rid of all extraneous detail? Or is it about yeah. like the thematics? Like what I think it was that and 
I like the way he makes you feel like you're... I don't know if I can even put this into words. Like you're sitting and watching something from the couch. Like you're not really like sucked into the story. You're just like, it's almost like you're sitting, standing behind him at the typewriter or something. He just puts you into this like lonesome kind of thoughtful place. But I think it was mostly stylistic that that put me in. I mean, just the way that he figured out how to get rid of everything. There's a lot of books about it. You know, like his his wife had a lot to do with it and this mm-hmm. editor, Tess Gallagher, and his editor mm-hmm. in terms of figuring that stuff out. But I agree, those stories are among the best of yeah. our time, you know, of our time. Mm-hmm. And uh, what was the book you read about Taylor and Burton? Oh, it's called uh, Furious Love, I want to say. But, because There's this incredible book that I was actually going to bring you, but I couldn't get here in time, called Zeroville by Steve Erickson. Okay. Yeah, you got to read it. It's about it's about um, a guy who's obsessed with a certain Liz Taylor movie and Mm -hmm. what happens. And it's the late 60s and he's around the Manson people. There's not it's not about that. (laughs) But he's in L.A. at that time. Yeah, you'll dig it. It's uh, yeah, worthwhile. So I I realize that we're taking something for granted that I think a lot of people don't know. And I think it really sets up what we're talking about, about you being this um, artist who's carving really her own place. Can, Can you just talk a little bit about sort of the the way that country music traditionally works that if you want to come up through that system ha- mm-hmm. how the produ- how it works with an artist producer songwriters <laughs> because i think it's in it's a, it's about for for you as an artist grabbing your own agency and mm-hmm. being who you wanted to be mm-hmm. but that's which in you know the rock and roll is more typically allowed but yeah. some 15 year old girl with a big voice i mean what happened in the beginning um I mean, I've always just been kind of bumbling along just in life in general. But I mean, I really just, I mean, I, I always wanted to be a performer. So when I was 15 and I actually started writing my own songs, it was because I was listening to tons of Hank Williams. And I was just like, this right. sounds so like real. He's literally just sitting down with the guitar or was long before, but <laughs> sitting down with the guitar and saying something so perfectly and somewhat it's almost so simple that it's more poetic. That's what drew me in. And I started writing songs in that vein and really just playing out. Like my dad would play drums with me and, and take me to bars and, and play shows. And I ended up meeting uh, one of my favorite bands, especially at that time in my life, was 500 Miles to Memphis, and I opened for them. And their their steel player was there. And he was like... I want to make a record with you. That was kind of my... Were you happy with the record that you made? In a way, yeah. I was unhappy with how long it took because it was... um, And I guess I've talked a lot of shit about my first record, but I think the songs are good. But um, it came out when I was 19. I started working on it when I was 16. Right. Well, no, it is a good record and you Mm -hmm. sing great, but but somehow did it not, did it feel like going through that whole sort of process, some of the spirit was taken out of it for you? Mm -hmm. And so was that how you then made a decision like, oh, I'm going to do this differently? And I was like, I'm never doing it again, kind of, which I mean, that sounds really mean to people who really helped me out um, and did make a, a quality record. I just don't think it's. I don't think it was ever what I wanted to do. I always wanted to be, like, in charge. So, like, a, when it's after the fact and you can look back and say that, oh, and now say, and I know you mean it, like, mm-hmm. I don't want to be mean or harsh on these people. Did you find it hard to, 
in the middle of all that to advocate for yourself? And do you find it yeah, easier it now? Mm-hmm. It I was, mean, it why was, was it hard? Because, I, I mean, when you're 16 and a girl and you're in a room with a bunch of older dudes and you make a suggestion and they just kind of chuckle at you, that's more dismissive than like, no, you're wrong, you're stupid. Uh, I would yeah, almost have rather brutal. gotten in an argument than like, <laughs> and just kind of swivel around in the chair. <laughs> like, it's, and I, re- like, looking back as an adult, well, an adult, I guess, I feel like, wow, how the hell did I ever even do that to begin with? Like a 16-year-old girl in a studio with a bunch of dudes. Yeah, with all these dudes who had, like, the answers, supposedly. Yeah, and I was just like, oh, I probably don't know what I'm talking about. But now now it's like, I guess a lot of people have this idea that, and and I shouldn't be flipping about production and and how that can change a record. But I I just know how I want my songs to sound. So the past couple of records have been like, this is what I want it to sound like. I don't know. It just made sense. Yeah, when when you were having those thoughts and you were like, well, I probably don't know what I'm talking about. But mm-hmm. that's the that's the part that's that I... That's I screw up. Yeah, I mean, that's the part <laughs> that's I wonder about I that. I screw myself. Yeah, I wonder about that duality. Mm-hmm. Are you... Have you... Like, I, I wonder what part of that is that battle between conforming or trying to like be a good person or like Mm -hmm. and then you're like a very smart person so how do you have you gotten better at at figuring out how to say no 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 I'm gonna trust myself and I'm I don't want to be rude right now but I have to do this yeah and I think it's more than that I think it's also like being homeschooled kind of always knowing that I wanted to be in some way self-employed I have kind of I doubt myself because I'm like, am I just doing this because I'm so used to like making every decision or doing what I want to do and I'm just an asshole? Like, is that what I'm doing here? And I I definitely want to be willing to learn. I never want to be that kind of person that's like, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. So I've always been fearful of of getting into that. Uh, Yeah, that's a huge pitfall, especially when people are telling you, you know, when your music goes out into the world and people are like, oh, she's such a, you know, you don't want to get swept away. But it's also, you know, 2014 in music and and people come up to me after shows and they're like, what you need to do is fire your band and get like an Amy Winehouse kind of band. I'm like, but that's not the music I make. What do you mean people come up to you and say that? And then I around and do the don't tell me what to do thing, you know. People say a lot of stupid shit. Do you, how do you, like, in what way? Sorry, they, I'm swearing a lot. Swear, say whatever you want. Okay. People, people <clears throat> come up to you, what, what do you mean they come up to you and say, like, oh, I have the answer for your... Yeah, people are like, you know, your band's too loud, or or you should play acoustic guitar, or I like it better when you're by yourself. Like, I, I would tour a lot as, like, a duo or a solo thing and people are like i like that better i'm like well i hated that right i want to play awful right. <laughs> that was lonely and terrible yeah but some part of what they say does it get to you I mean, is that it, but- it doesn't anymore because now i know that i'm making the kind of music that i love so much that i'm like why why can't you just kind of appreciate that but but i don't know yeah I, part of it gets to me because i'm like well yeah even like your twitter insecure, handle yeah. thing where you say like your description most like i'm <laughs> What do you think, most likely a bitch? Like you... Kind of a bitch or something. Yeah, I mean, um, like, what's that about? Why do you want to tag yourself that? Like, what's... Um, I think that would... Well, one, I was probably drunk. I mean, I know I it's a joke. Sure, but, I know uh... it's a joke, but also... I know it's also a joke. <laughs> it's also a joke, but it's a weird... It's a it's a defense mechanism, isn't it, in a way? It, it is. I mean, because I'm not a bitch. I mean, people... Uh, well, my band tells me that I 
I'm crabby or whatever. But uh, I at shows I'm generally very the, the band shaking and their kind. heads in the other room. But uh, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> One of them married you, so how horrible could he think you? you so are, I'm the really? biggest bitch to him, really. But I mean, I don't know. Uh, no, but it I mean, is what kind is it of that like you, yeah. a chameleon or not a chameleon? They just blend in. What's what's an animal that like? Yeah, well, they, shoots blood out of its eye. Is that a bunny or something? No, I think that's an Ebola victim, <laughs> and that's not a very nice joke oh at this my point. God, so don't, sorry. I mean, that's that's not a that's not okay. But oh, um, no, what? Uh, I mean, this thing will go up in three weeks and probably three quarters of the country will have <laughs> Ebola by then. It'll be, I'll have said the worst thing. Yeah, I might not be alive by then, so. We all could be, uh, go out. No, but the the real question is, do you think a guy in your position would constantly be like, I have an opinion. Oops, sorry, I expressed it. No, I have another opinion. I hate, I oh, hate that gosh, I shouldn't yeah. have said that. That, you know, mm-hmm. and that's, I wonder, though, where that I don't know, like what the every interview I've read with you, there's some piece of like you'll make the statement and then be backtracking at the same time. <laughs> That's the kind of person I am. And I've always hated that about myself. Like I read interviews with people I admire and they're just like, wow, that guy sounds like an asshole, but I totally get what he's saying. But then I'll do the same thing and finally get on the cusp of that. Like I'm saying what I want to. And I'm like, sorry. he Right. <laughs> That's a terrible trait that uh, is probably... I guess I would say really unattractive in women when they say something really badass and then they're like, sorry. Well, yeah, but, but I do it all the time. Well, sure. I, yeah, it's, it's, um, I mean, it's still sort of like playing, it's still sort of like acknowledging, um, that there are these expectations that mm-hmm. you have to grapple with instead of just yeah. being unwilling mm-hmm. to grap to grapple with them. Like to go like, well, that's your problem. Mm-hmm. Cause it seems like you almost get to the point where you want to say that <laughs> and then, I'm kind of an extreme person too. Like I'll, I'll just, I guess I do that, and then I totally lose my sh. And then I'm like, whoa, I went way too far. You mean when it gets to the point, then <laughs> yeah. you'll say, I'll like, do something insane, and and then I'm like, well, I guess I got my frustration so across. So on the, on the <laughs> so then on the other side of it, who are the songwriters that are doing something now, whose example? you you dig you know who you think are really like doing the thing and it doesn't mean country in any form of music right now yeah like who's alive writing songs where you think oh that's a good song that that guy or that woman put it out there in in a legit way um i'm only thinking of pop music right now actually i'll just say this person because uh tuvalo yeah um the Swedish pop I mean I think she's amazing and she's also very honest and I like the way she talks about herself and because she reminds me a lot of myself kind of I don't know troubled crazy but also and the way she said her album is like sex her album is like in these three parts like sex love and um what was the third there's a third Uh, part of the album pain sex love and pain Mm -hmm. and you mean that she was just able to sort of I just like that she well, she's an amazing songwriter, one. Um, and two, she just is who she is. She's not apologetic about things, and she's honest in a way that um, doesn't sound like she's bragging about things, which is something that I think I'm often accused of. It's like bragging about how much I can drink or or how depressed I am. Like, why is she so, like, bragging about how much she can party? And it's like I've never thought of myself that way, so it's been really difficult to even You mean bragging like as though you're that. bragging in the music? Yeah. In the songs? Yeah. 
I don't... certain songs people have said that, and I'm like, that was so not bragging. Yeah, I mean, to me, it seems like you're— Or um... like my second album cover uh, is me drinking gasoline, which right. to me was so obviously ironic that I thought no one could possibly think that I actually thought that. And people are like, you better be careful, little girl. You can't drink gasoline. I'm like, <laughs> you learned that when you're four years old. <laughs> but can't you So can't you just dismiss— But this, uh, is You it... can. I mean, you totally can dismiss things, but I'm the kind of person but that— But I'm saying, can you— can you accept like, hey, I'm really good at this stuff. Uh, I know, like, because I don't picture Elvis Costello or Dylan or Jason Isbell like going, oh, you know, um, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. You know, I don't. You don't see Jason Isbell going like, um, oh, that guy said I shouldn't talk about f-ing a cancer patient, mm-hmm. and you know, you see, he'd probably just go like, you idiot, you misunderstood this, like you just didn't get the song, yeah. Um, I guess I know I've, never wanted, I've never wanted to seem like the kind of person that's really desperate to explain things to people. Like, if you just knew that it was about... So I'll just be like, I don't know. I guess... Sorry. <laughs> I, don't know. Yeah, but, I never want to seem too mad about people not getting it, even though I'll rant and rave about people not getting all the time at home or in the van or pretty much anytime someone will give me 30 seconds. But it's like... Just, I guess, in the public eye, I don't want to seem like that whiny person that's like, people don't get me. So I just have to kind of let it go. And then you just find a way to not, to make sure that in the music. Mm -hmm. I just like writing songs. That's what I'm. And are you able to not. That's how I communicate best. (laughs) Right. Are you able to not think about the stuff when you're writing the songs? Yeah. Yeah. That's when I uh, feel truly myself, I guess. And when you're writing and then also recording or ju- or really writing? Yeah, and, and recording. And writing in collaboration, too, with Todd? Mm-hmm. And, yeah. Or do you still—you write by yourself also a lot? Yeah, I mostly write by myself. But Todd um, is definitely, like, someone that I take a song to. Like, what do you think? Is this—is this, is this I don't know. I don't know. And we'll work through it. And uh, he's he's got good ideas, I guess. So wait, other than Tuvalo, who else is a good songwriter? Um, Todd's a really good song, <laughs> but, uh, I, more pop music. I guess I really like Sia. I think she's amazing yeah, she's and really also good. crazy. Um, this isn't really like anything new, but Paul Westerberg's like just probably my favorite songwriter of all time. So I don't know. I just admire kind of everything about him. Yeah. I had, uh, it's the uncool album I know, but I had a big pleased, uh, Pleased to meet me poster in college mm-hmm. on my wall. I, I mean, that's I, a great album, though. Yeah, but you know, real but, replacements yeah. fans, real <laughs> replacements fans. It's Tim, mm-hmm. uh, Let It Be, and then uh, Pleased to Meet Me like follows a distant third. I think yeah. to like actual replacements uh-huh. fans. Yeah. I, I love the replacements, but uh, I got into them on Pleased to Meet Me. Uh-huh. That came out when I was in college, you know, mm-hmm. and I, then I went backwards. So I agree with you. He's an incredible mm-hmm. songwriter. Yeah. Do you like his solo stuff too? Yeah. Did you go see them? No, I have not. I had tickets to uh, St. Paul, and then we were in Dallas, so I sold them to a friend. That was them and the whole it Steady, was I think. a devastating day. <clears throat> yeah. Right, the whole Steady, I think, <laughs> opened that show, who are yeah. also great mm-hmm. for me. Mm-hmm. You know, Ben Craig's from there, too. Yeah. Um, so Westerberg, you think he's great. Yeah. And that's, uh, I mean, you can hear that, actually, in the record. You can hear the replacements in the new record, I think. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's an intentional thing in the guitars. It's never really intentional, but yeah. But if you love pop music so much, have you thought about writing? And I mean, I know you've done covers of 
mm-hmm. pop songs. But have you thought about making yeah. a record that, you know, following Taylor's footsteps and making Definitely. I mean, I don't think it's something I would do as It's because of Taylor, let's be honest. Yeah, it it is. She inspired me. Um, Yeah. (laughs) No, I've been actually thinking about this a lot lately. Uh, I I don't really know how to go about it yet. I want to get a drum machine, but I've been seriously, um, while I should be making a Lydia Loveless record, writing uh, sort of D-Antward kind of just vulgar, crass, hip-hop pop stuff at my house. That's what you're writing now? Yes. With, with, like, <laughs> and what are you using as a drum machine? Like, are you using... Right uh, now like I'm using my Mac? phone and a keyboard. Like garage band drums, basically? It's like, like on, iMachine or right. something on my phone, and then I use... I have, like, a... What the hell is it called? A Nord. But you wouldn't put it out as your own? No, I would I would do it as something else. But, um, I don't know. I just... I love pop music, and that's, like, all I listen to. And actually, Todd was like, so when are you going to put out a pop album? Because that's, like, all you ever listen to in the car. So, and Does that music move <laughs> you, too? Does it move yeah, you, it too? Yeah, it does. I mean... You think I, there's, like, a truth in it somehow? Yeah. Or I mean, I think there's a lot of... Uh, okay, I find the pop music that's written by, like, old Swedish men kind of creepy. That they Then they have, like, a young kind of Lolita because everyone wants to have sex with a 16-year-old girl sing their weird, perverted old man lyrics. And I like that there's, like, now there's, like, Sia and Tuvalo are... Taking ownership over it. Taking... Staking their claim pop music. And Kesha until... I wonder why you think you couldn't just do it under your own name, though. Like, Prince Prince made whatever record he wanted to make. And could. Hard. I'm not afraid of that. I just... uh, Sometimes it's nice to sort of separate, I guess, because I've been Lydia Loveless for so long and just obsessed with like, oh, sure, this thing. It's like, what if I did this other thing and just called it like poop <laughs> and with, it was pop music? <laughs> I'm sorry. That was weird. <laughs> I think that's a weird band name for it sure. It is weird. You know, that was just the first word that popped in my head because. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think that's a great idea. I mean, you have a lot of good ideas, and I don't want to be one of those men telling you, oh, silly girl, but I have to say, that seems... That's a bad uh, that seems Scratch that. Think of something else. Realistically. And what do you think about this idea that people tried to build this... I mean, even... I mean, it is funny, even when you talk about the Swedish men, obviously, Taylor writes songs with that person. Mm-hmm. But why do you think people tried to build up this idea that you were, like, the anti... Do you I think it's like a... Mar- like, yeah, I mean, does it make any sense to you that, that they tried to do that? No. And it's funny, like we were talking about how I always apologize for things I say, but I did an interview with this guy once in Austin. We call him Jimmy Conquistador. I won't reveal his real name, but uh, (laughs) I did this interview with him for like, it was like an hour and a half. And he was trying to like peg me as the anti-Taylor Swift. And I think I said a lot of really like straight up and like powerful things about like how I feel and he scratched the entire article because I wouldn't give him the anti-Taylor Swift thing that he was going for. Like I ruined his well, angle. good. I'm and glad that you did. And it's like I, I've never understood that we're not really in, in the same vein at all. So. Yeah, I, I brought up and the reason I brought up I agree with that. I don't think you guys are doing the same thing. And I brought up but I brought up Liz Fair and I know you sort of said um, that maybe she wasn't an influence of that record wasn't mm-hmm. influence. But it did take 20 years from when she made Exile mm-hmm. to you making this record. Yeah. And I can't think. And in, so in, in rock and pop, it, 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 
sort of after she did that, it became a common thing um, in a way. But why do you think it took until you for somebody to kind of pick up that mantle? And I guess that's what I was saying about Pistolani's, if I can be more clear, is like their thing is, let's say it may be calculated, as you say, um, very well may be calculated, but calculated or not, it's like the point of view from which it comes is uh, like a woman scorned or a woman um, uh, who's been manipulated deciding to manipulate. Or it's, it's like the, mm-hmm. the narrative is still, even if the woman is becoming empowered, it's like from a place, it starts from a place of disempowerment mm-hmm. of like, and y- yours just, you're just like, here's who I am. And here's how I see the world. I mean, what do you think it took so long for somebody to be willing to do it? And were you ever scared to do it? Like when you had when the first, you know, were you ever scared to be that frank and direct on these on these records? Not necessarily. I mean, I I'm scared kind of all the time of like, where can I possibly go um, <clears throat> as a woman to just be myself and not really have an angle. Um, it's hard to explain, but I'm just kind of like writing these songs. I'm, it's almost impossible for me to like do anything other than what comes naturally to me. So I just wonder how long I can sustain a career like that, (laughs) I guess. Um, but it doesn't scare me to be honest in songwriting because I'm going to do that anyway, regardless of whether or not it gets put out. It's just about, um... How long can you make a living at it, I guess? I think that's that was my, my phone. Yeah, I was just that's not my phone. What is that? It came in at a perfect moment. That was insane. That was so good. That was hilarious. It's like, how am I going to make a living at this? Uh, that was awesome. But wow. You, um, you, so the fact that it's been received well, that people mm-hmm. come to see you when they know the songs and they sing along, like, yeah. do you... Do you get women who write you notes that are like, forget the crazy person who comes up to you and tells you to trash your band. (laughs) But I would imagine that there are people who've written you to say like, thanks. Yeah. And does that, do you, are you able to accept it? Like, do you get it? Yeah, it's great. I mean, I, lately I've noticed women bringing their daughters to shows. That's been the best thing. Because when I was a teenager, I didn't get to go see, like, awesome female singers that were singing about, you know, getting head. I was like, I can't even believe that people are okay with that. But also, I would have loved to see a show like that when I was a teenager. Well, there are a lot of different messages being Mm -hmm. put out there into the world. And so I'm sure that parents are like, well, my 11-year-old kid's got access to porn. I'm probably the best cleanest thing they could probably see. I, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that's, yeah. I mean, you're trying to actually talk about mm-hmm. something. But you do get people who say like, hey, this meant something to me or you're articulating what yeah. I feel. And doesn't that give you, doesn't that help propel you? Fo- yeah, like, does it help propel you forward? Do you like, you know? Yeah. And I mean, people say things that, I mean, they'll talk about my songs in such a way that it's like, I didn't even think of it that way. And that's really exciting too. Right. They'll pick up on that. Yeah, someone was saying to me the other day that, like, sometimes someone will finish a piece of work and is only and then talking about it after they even realize why they did it or what it was. Yeah. Um, people will say to you, I noticed this or I felt this thing, and, and maybe it was in your subconscious, but it wasn't mm-hmm. part of the plan. Yeah. 
I mean, there's songs that it's taken me years to figure out what I was talking about. Really? So, yeah. What a great thing. It's very exciting. It keeps me in suspense. <laughs> and are you, what are you doing now? Are you still on the road? This is, this is pretty much the end of the tour. So I have most of the next few months off. So I need to figure out what to do with myself. And uh, did the guy that you wrote Steve Earle about ever say anything to you? No. Um, did I he stop following you around? Since then. <laughs> yeah. I, I think there's like, there's a video from this festival in Columbus called ComFest where we play that. And he's like watching the show from the sidelines. And I haven't seen him since then, really. Oh, you've seen the vid- You've seen that? Mm-hmm. And was that after that record came out? I think so. That's too weird. Did Steve Earle himself ever say anything to you? Mm-mm. Have you I've heard he does not read his own press or like anything about him? So you haven't have you run across him? Mm-mm. You know, I yeah, I met him once, mm-hmm. and I like? I was like I was incredible. <laughs> I couldn't believe it was him. And I you know was, you know, he played guitar on uh, Desperado's Waiting for a Train, the Guy mm-hmm. Clark record, when he was like seventeen or something. Mm-hmm. So that's what I I said. Did you really play guitar? And then he just started telling me this whole great story <laughs> about how he yeah. happened to be in the studio, and that was like his first. I think he was like sixteen or seventeen. Mm-hmm. And he played guitar on that thing. Um, but I'll tell you, like, I listen to that song so many times, your song, trying to just figure out. And then it was good that I went to, the, like, read stuff to figure out it wasn't actually Steve Earl following you around. <laughs> yeah. it was just, like, very, there's not really a lot of clues in there that it's not him. Yeah. Um, and so it does seem like sometimes you do give them, like, you know, the song you wrote that you said was inspired by Taylor and Burton. I'm not sure people would necessarily know that. Why did you want to put yeah, that out there so. ahead of time to let them know? Um, I don't know. I mean, there's always that part of of putting out an album where people want to know what everything's about. And that was just kind of one of those things that it occurred to me that that's what that song was about. So, Well, I hope that you go and write your pop album that you want to write and then <laughs> another Lydia Loveless record because, um, you know, the stronger you get and the more you're not apologizing for yourself, I think that it's got to be the easier that this is going to become for you. Yeah, totally. You know? I mean, I liked seeing that tweet today where you were like, I'll do what the f- I want. <laughs> I know. It is uh, it is really a, an unattractive trait in me to be apologetic. and But I do want to make people happy, I guess. That's a big thing for me. But you can't make everyone happy, I think. Somebody I mean, said that once. No, yeah, your best chance to make them happy <laughs> might, is probably to play your music. I mean, the best mm-hmm. chance to make them happy, right, is to do the as an artist. Yeah. Just do the thing that makes you happy. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so it would make me happy if you would play a song. Yeah. Will you do that? Yes. Because this way people who have been listening to us talk about your music can actually hear some <laughs> in a very easy okay. form. Um, all right, great. Uh, so we're going to go set up so that Lydia can record. Thank you so much Thank you. for being here and talking. Is there Thank anything you. we didn't cover that you wanted to cover? No, I think this was... This was like a therapy session. Good. <laughs> That's great. I'll send you the bell later, and um, we'll go get the uh, the guitar thing set up uh, now. Awesome. So, hey, uh, Lydia is going to play the song Head uh, by request, and um, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for doing this. I know you don't normally play this uh, on acoustic. <laughs> Lydia is on Twitter, so if you want to get... Um, <laughs> Yelled at by her. You can find her at, what is it, Lydia underscore? Lydia underscore Loveless. Lydia underscore Loveless. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Brian Koppelman. You can also email me, uh, themomentbk at gmail.com. And um, 
the great Lydia Lovelace playing Head. Thanks for listening. Uh, here we go. Get it.
Anyone who can play, sing, and write like that has got nothing to apologize for. Stop <laughs> apologizing to people and just keep playing that music. Thank you. Lydia, thanks for being here. Thanks so much. See ya. Thank you for listening to Grantland. To hear more Grantland shows in your earballs, subscribe to Grantland Sports and Grantland Pop Culture on iTunes. Or go to grantland.com and click on podcasts.